0: Football Hall of Fame, and CBS Sports chose one of six most memorable plays, memorable moments uh, in the entire century. And one of those moments came on January 1st, 1929. It was the Golden Bears, uh, they were facing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, And, and I know some of you guys remember that day, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but midway through the second quarter, uh, California's Roy Regals, who played center, picked up a fumble. Uh, Georgia Tech's uh, Stumpy Thompson—he uh, just lost the ball—and they were 30 yards away from scoring the touchdown here in the second quarter. The score was zero to zero at the time, and Regals somehow got turned around. And ran 65 yards in the wrong direction, before eventually being tackled by one of his, of his very own players. You know what? I've got to let let's actually watch the play. In celebration of the 100th Rose Bowl game, a memory: the most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. The, the 1929 fumble. game: Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A blocked punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regal's. The 100th Rose Bowl game on ESPN. Well, that strange play, 65 yards in the wrong direction, happened in the first half, and and everyone was watching, wondering what what Coach uh, Nibs Price was going to do with Roy Regal's. Roy Regals was an amazing football player. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, he was excellent. And, and coach comes in, and, and everybody's absolutely quiet. Some sitting on the benches, some sitting on the floor, uh, reporters said as they were in there. And Roy Regals was in the corner with the blanket over him, hands in his face, and he was bawling like a baby. Because they blocked, they, instead of playing that out, California kicked they punted on the first play because they were at the 1 yard line and they were scared and they the punt was blocked and they got a safety which was 2 points so they were up 2 nothing at at the end of the half and coach just stayed absolutely quiet the entire time finally the guy comes in 3 minutes you've ever played in a sport you hear that where they give you the call of uh, the time for the second half to start and and coach just goes all right same players that were in the first half you're starting the second half let's go well that included Roy Regals he was saying Roy's gonna play in the second half and 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 Roy didn't move everybody else ran out and Roy just sat there crying coach came up to him and and said son let's go and he said I can't coach I can't. I can't face them. I can't face you. I let you all down. And Coach says, I need you for the second half. And and Roy finally got up, and he had an excellent second half, uh, one of his best second halves that he's ever played. Tech still won. Eight to seven was the final score. So that block was absolutely crucial. Later on, Roy Regals uh, the next year was named an All-American. He was named uh, the MVP of that Rose Bowl, on a side note, was the quarterback who tackled Roy Regals. Uh, They named him the MVP later on in 1953. Coach Price and, and Roy Regals, they had issues with one another in this situation. But it was just about a football game. Today we're going to talk about other people that had issues, Christians that had issues. That was more important uh, than uh, winning a national college football championship. Did you know that we're all on a mission? That, that's what we're talking about today, focus on fulfilling the mission. In 1980, there was a movie that debuted uh, about two guys who were on a special mission from Joliet, Illinois. In fact, the two men, Jake and Elwood Blues, continuously said, we are on a mission from God. Well, the University of California, they were trying to win a championship. That was their mission. The Blues brothers, they were trying to save an orphanage from foreclosure, But we, and the people we're about to study, are on a much different mission, a mission to make disciples, a mission that is absolutely crucial to to increase in the number of people in the kingdom of God. That's the mission. That's the mission of Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Silas and Timothy And John, Mark, all those companions that were with them, that is their mission, that is our mission, to develop disciple-makers, to develop people who are going to spread the good news about Jesus Christ and what he has done. So let's get into today's Word. It's it's from Acts 15. We've got a lot to deal with here. We're going to start in verse 36. We're going to go all the way through Acts 16.10. You can stay seated while I read these verses. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them, one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for all they knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem, so that churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am thankful that we could go to your word, that we could study your word. I pray that we can honor you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you can teach us even today, that you could help us learn from your words. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I see six things, six things here I want to identify uh, from these passages uh, that that I've read, that I think can help fulfill our mission, our mission uh, as as people who want to serve at the pleasure of the King. First, to fulfill our mission in this life, we need to strive to keep moving forward. Strive to keep moving forward. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, here's what that says. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run forward. Let us keep moving forward. Paul, a- after hearing about what the council has decided here, Paul just wants to, to keep moving forward. Let's go. Let's get up and go. Let's, let's not sit here and talk about how the Gentiles can be believers without following every uh, previous law by the Jews. Let's go back to them that we already preached to and let's encourage them and spur them on and, and, and see where they are and, and make sure that they're on the right track. And let's go to the next place after that. Let's go, let's go. He wanted to keep moving, keep spreading the gospel. And I don't want to belabor these points. I don't want to just sit on these points and, and talk about the same thing over and over. But I want to make sure that we understand what our real mission in life is. Because I think that's important for us to reflect on uh, frequently. Because there's a lot of stuff in this world that we could have a mission to do. A lot of different things. A lot of good things. A lot of great things. Uh, I, I think 1 John 3, 17 through 18 but if anyone has the, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If someone has a need, they need clothes, or they need food, uh, they need support. Whatever it is, as brothers and sisters in Christ, our job is to help them, to provide it for them if we can, uh, to see how we can fill that gap. We saw that, we just saw that in, in the book of Acts earlier. We saw Paul, remember he said, I'm going to come gather the, the, uh, the treasure, the treasury that you our guys are providing, I'm going to take it back to Jerusalem. And what were they doing that for? Because they wanted to feed all those people that were in need. They wanted to take care of all those people that were in Jerusalem after they came to the Lord. They were taking care of people's needs. Psalm 146, 7. Says, Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. Isaiah 58, 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. This is this is why our good friend Pastor Dave, why he served widows and prisoners. We're called to in Scripture to that that's part of our duty, part of our responsibility as believers in Christ. In 1 Timothy, Paul uh, even details some requirements about how to deal with widows and, and what to do with them and, and how to support them even as a church. Should we, should we give up meeting these practical needs? Is that, or, or, or should we totally focus in on that? We'll, we'll learn in Acts 20 coming up, it is better to give than to receive. But our mission our mission in this life isn't about giving somebody bread it is totally a great thing to do that when we go to Ethiopia we give out hundreds of loaves of bread but that only satisfies for a meal We're, we we our, our, our ultimate mission is what is found in Matthew 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to give them the bread of life. The bread of life. That's the mission. That's our ultimate mission. As we move forward in this life, that's what we should be doing. Our, our ultimate desire is how do we share the gospel moving forward? And we need to keep moving forward, even when we think we, we, we're not sure what to do. We're looking left and right, and we're trying to figure out what should we do. We need to just keep moving forward, waiting for the guidance. And we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, from the Holy Spirit. I know Mark has told me when he's moving his semi that if he just moves forward just gently, he can turn the steering wheel super easily. But if he just stood there without moving and tried to turn the steering wheel it's, it's nearly impossible. But if you just go forward just gently, even if it's so slow, that's what Paul was doing. He just Let's just go forward. Let's just figure it out, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit for guidance as we go. The second point I see in this portion is uh, to fulfill our mission is we need to solve conflict, solve conflict, and in, in as much as possible live peaceably among all men. Acts 15. Starting with verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them, the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Let's unpack this a little bit and find out why I use Paul's words in Romans to talk about living peaceably among all men. Who's John Mark? Who is this John Mark character? You guys might remember in Acts uh, 12, I believe it was, Peter was in jail, and there was a house where the people were meeting, and they were praying for Peter's release. That was John Mark's mom's house, Mary. So John Mark was uh, amongst those believers praying for Peter. John Mark is also uh, a, a companion, uh, a, uh, a worker with with Paul. We saw that he's a helper of Paul's. According to Colossians, he's the cousin of Barnabas. And in addition, obviously, uh, of sharing the gospel with many people, John Mark is the author of the Gospel, Mark. And so, in Acts thirteen, we see. If you look back, Acts thirteen, I think it was verse thirteen. Paul and Barnabas, they're serving. Uh, they meet uh, uh, um, that one character guy, uh, something Jesus. I can't even think of his name right now. And what is it? Bar Jesus, yes. And and so they meet him, and they're having some issues going on. And John Mark goes, I'm tapping out, guys. I'm heading back to Jerusalem. We don't know why. We don't know if, if, if he got Summoned to come back, we don't know if if he was uh, tired of being on there, if he was annoyed with Paul. We, we don't know the circumstances. We do know that Paul wasn't happy with that decision he made based on on this disagreement. Um, but he left him, he left him alone. So now we come all the way back to Acts 15, which is about two or three years later. So there's some time in between Acts 12 and Acts 15. Where, where there's a gap of of possible maturation and, and lots of change, you can imagine what has happened in two to three years of your own life. And Paul's excited. He's going back to the cities. I'm going back to these cities. Let's go, Barnabas. We're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, do awesome stuff for the Lord. God is gonna be proclaimed, and we're gonna go talk to all these people. And, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that these people Uh, are following, what we have taught them, and then we'll move on. And Barnabas goes, I'm in. Count me in. This is my paraphrase. Count me in. Oh, by the way, we're going to bring my cousin too. Paul's like, are you kidding me? There's not a chance in the world we're going to bring your cousin with us. He already abandoned us once. We got too, uh, too important of a job right now. We're not taking him with. And that went back and forth. Barnabas, he was the son of encouragement. And he, he wanted to somehow bring him along with. Maybe he saw something different in him. Maybe he just wanted to say, hey, he needs another chance. Or maybe he thought, hey, this will be an easier time for him, and he's going to grow in the Lord. Whatever the case, uh, what came about was, I think the, the verse says, sharp disagreement. A sharp disagreement. I'm guessing some of you are are like me, and and you've been in a disagreement before, with maybe a family member or close friend, a best friend, a coworker, maybe a fellow brother or sister in Christ at a church. Maybe you've been in a disagreement there. I wonder how you handled it. I wonder if you regretted what you said or how you acted in that disagreement. Maybe you wish you did something different. You know, Satan loves to use conflict. He loves it. He loves conflict. And he. I think if there's a time where Satan rejoices, it's it's when... Brothers and sisters in Christ are in conflict. He wants Satan, wants us focused on ourselves. Pride, um, thinking we're always right. Those are those are great tools that could be used to develop conflicts. He wants us absolutely any chance he can to be distracted from sharing the gospel from spreading the good news. I mean that's if our energy could be spent on on dealing with all these conflicts or, or not dealing with these conflicts is even better. That's a win uh, for the wrong side. Paul said numerous times throughout his writings that he was a sinner. You guys remember Philippians 3.12, 1 Timothy 1.15, Those are just a couple. Barnabas, we saw, was a sinner. In Galatians uh, 2, at 2.13, it says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We're dealing with sinful men, just like you and me were sinners. And there is going to be conflict. There is going to be disagreements that we come up with. And sometimes there are sharp disagreements. You know, when you look at this particular disagreement that we're reading in, in the scriptures, you can almost see both sides of it. You see Barnabas, that son of encouragement. You see, hey, he's just trying to help this guy out. He's he's trying to get him back in the fold. Maybe he's like, man, we could really use another strong believer and Paul's like, no, man, we've got too big of a, uh, of a mission. Our mission is too crucial. We can't bring along baggage. And not, not being mean about it, but just, hey, this is a big mission that we got to deal with. I don't know. The worst part about conflict is, if you walk away from conflict and there's bitterness and resent, resentfulness. When you're resenting the other person because of the conflict, because of the issue, it's hard to resolve. That's why, that's why scripture always teaches us to go uh, one-to-one. Go face-to-face with them. Try to deal with the situation. Try to come together and resolve it. In as much as Possible, live peaceably among all men, in as much as possible, because there's times where you can't. There's times where you can't have absolute peace with other people just for a time. And, And this wasn't a biblical disagreement. This wasn't like saying, Barnabas was saying, Jesus was not resurrected, and Paul was saying, yes, Jesus was resurrected. That's not what this was. This was just this was biblical principles uh, being put into uh from experience and and understanding from their point of view. And, and and they just have different strategies of what they were going about. Even when the resolution to conflict is not possible, we obviously have to do everything we can. Have to do everything we can. You know, I, I don't I don't think We want to do that though. I think some of us just say, you know what, if we can't deal with this, if we can't agree on this, then I'm not going to be your friend. I don't want to be by you, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to even see you. I I have an acquaintance that this person disowns people verbally. And if there's conflict, instead of dealing with it and loving through it, they're done. I'm done with them. Sherry knows exactly what I'm re- referring to. Are you done with people? Because frankly, there's there's real really no conflict that is so big that you should be done with people because we have a mission to do. There may be conflicts that we never resolve fully, we never agree on, but that doesn't mean we can't live peaceably amongst them. It doesn't mean they become your best friends or they re-become your best friends. That may never happen again after conflict. But it does mean that you need to strive Towards some type of reconciliation so you can move forward. You need to have forgiveness within your own heart, and you need to take it to the Lord. God wants to hear those things. By the way, you guys know, you guys know scripture pretty well. Paul and Barnabas, they're still friends after this fact. We see in 1 Corinthians 9 6, or is it only Barnabas and I? who have no right to refrain from working for a living. Referring to him as a brother who they are working together. And we read in 2 Timothy 4.11, just one of the verses that we can come to, that Paul worked things out with Mark as well. It says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. He didn't see Mark as a useless person for the Lord. No, he saw great possibilities and great use of of him to proclaim the gospel. That was his ultimate focus. How do we proclaim the word? I know we need to move forward. You know, even when we do have issues, by the way, even when we have terrible conflict, and we feel like all is lost. Isn't it amazing how out of the ashes from that conflict, God blows his breath into that, and those embers that are still alive in there flame back up. And his gospel has moved forward, even in the midst of brothers and sisters who have conflict. Because God is God. And all of this is about him anyway. And so we're the ones who just mess that process up. And that's why we keep going to him. We keep looking to how can we humble ourselves before God Almighty. How do we treat him as the king of kings? Let's move on. The third observation that I have from this passage is that you can fulfill, is that to fulfill our mission in this life, we need to spark new Christian partnerships. Spark New Christian partnerships. We see in this passage that Paul chose a new companion to join with him uh, on this journey. Silas, uh, he's a leader himself, known as a prophet, a faithful brother, starting in Acts 1539. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So Luke notes here real quick that, hey, this was a good deal. Even the brothers and sisters in Christ gave a thumbs up with Paul choosing Silas. And and Paul and Silas, they would do a a significant amount uh, of missionary work, of spreading the gospel. They went uh, to Syria, Cilicia, Derby. Uh, Lystra, they carried the message of salvation to all these different places, Macedonia, Philippi. They were, um, you remember when they were in prison together, singing, uh, shackled at the feet, I believe it says. And, and they were worshiping the Lord. They went to Thessalonica, and, and then they took that partnership all the way to Corinth. They, they had a lot of ministry together. Uh, and, and then along the way, they, they developed the partnership with Timothy. We, we learned that in, in chapter 16. And we know from, from being students of the word that Timothy is, is someone that Paul trains and teaches and, and encourages and, and helps in his own walk and, and in his own ministry. Developing disciples who develop disciples. Christian partnership is absolutely crucial if we are to fulfill this mission because we can't do it alone. We, we, we come together, we need, we need other people to encourage us, even for a uh, uh, protection's sake for ourselves, to uh, sharpen us, to exhort us. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another, right? That's what we do. We try to lift each other up, and we help each other, and that we have to keep forging these relationships. And, and it can't, we can't just uh, rest on ourselves and say that we can do it alone. I'll just do it by myself. No, we have to build Christian partnerships. And that goes for churches as well, churches as a whole in the sense of uh, one congregation partnering with other congregations. That's beautiful when churches rally together for one cause, one mission, to share the gospel, to spread the good news. Well, in order to fulfill our mission in this life, this is the next point, we need to shape God-fearing disciples. Shape God-fearing disciples. That's the whole focus of Paul. That's what the Great Commission tells us to do, make disciples of all nations. Our mission is multiplication. Let's go in that a little bit more. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. You guys know this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The only command in this section is to make disciples. Make disciples. That's our mission. That is our mission. If you haven't got that in this message so far, let me say it again. Our mission is to make disciples. We do this mission by going, by baptizing, by teaching. You and I need to be involved, and I'm going to use the word need. We need to be involved in shaping god-fearing disciples so that they in turn can go shape several god-fearing disciples and those several god-fearing disciples can shape several god-fearing it's a it's a multiplication factor absolutely crucial and the problem we have as believers and I'm speaking to to general Christians and I'm speaking to us right here in this room is that we get apathetic. We we get so content with what we're doing in our life that we don't follow this as an absolute mission. Let me say it this way. January 1st, a few years ago, I was on a mission to do one push-up a day. And every day I'd add one more push-up. And so... On day four, January 4th, I'd do four push-ups. On January 20th, I'd do 20 push-ups. And then I'd go all the way to December 31st, and I'd do 365 push-ups in reps of 20. And I did it for 43 days. 43 days, a month and a half. Man, I was on fire. Uh, But then I got distracted. That's one of many potential stories I could share with you of my distraction. But that's what happens to us in our Christian walk, and our mission as believers in Jesus Christ. We're on fire, we call it. And, and we start sharing the gospel with different people. We're at Casey's and we're talking to Mo and, and we're talking about all, all the great things about the Lord and we run over to Chumley's real quick, have a conversation with him and, and, and then we, we, we go and, and, and we phone a friend that, we, that we're talking to about the Lord and, and we're really just digging in and we're trying to really shape this Disciple maker because we've been called to do that, and and man, who else can I share the gospel with, and and maybe uh, grow in their faith, and and then all of a sudden, life hits, and 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 you start worrying about that bill that that you're, you you just found out about, and or or maybe maybe you're just too busy because of of work, or or maybe your kids have games, and and, and so that's taking your focus, and and you just don't have the uh, you just don't have the capacity anymore, and then you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I, I got to get back on fire with Christ." And, and guess what? We're human. We fail. We 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 stumble all the time. But our ultimate mission is not about us running our own Bible studies for our home. That would be great. That's wonderful. It's not becoming missionaries in the sense of we're going to other countries and sharing the gospel and going place to place to place. It could be, but that's not necessarily what this mission is saying. This mission is saying to go make disciples of all nations, which is right around us in our normal everyday life. As we go to work, as we, as we stop at different places, as we raise our children That's a great place to start making disciples. Your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, those kids that you have opportunities to speak into their life. But then your neighbors and and, and your acquaintances at work, those are great places. But do it within your regular life. Find those opportunities. Next point here is the best way to do this is to seek guidance From the Holy Spirit. That's what we see with Paul. All the time. Over and over. Is seeking the guidance from the Holy Spirit. Because friends. We cannot do this by ourselves. Jesus even said. I'm going to send a helper. You want me to go. So he can come. And he is with us. He is with us. Acts 16.6. You know, I don't know if I read this earlier. I might have stopped reading early. And they went through the region of uh, Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Getting on our knees every single day and asking for guidance from the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital if we are to fulfill our mission. Absolutely vital. Every single day. Prayer has to be part of the the plan. I probably should have prayed for my push-up plan but this, I need to pray even more. I need to seek God's wisdom through his word more. And that's the question. Are we seriously asking the Holy Spirit to fill us with his spirit? I think some of us are scared to ask that question because we think it's going to be too charismatic. I, I, I've thought the same thing at times. Uh, I don't want to be, but the more and more I study scripture, the more I, I dig into God's word and, and, and talk to the Lord, the more I'm convicted that I'm not begging the Holy Spirit to fill me. Remember, there's two different things. Uh, We are, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we become believers. Instantly, instantly, for all believers, But the filling of the Holy Spirit is a different process. And that happens uh, on uh, a case-to-case situation. It can happen multiple times. It can happen one time. We need to seek God and ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to these verses. Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Joy, gratitude, those are the things that that ultimately come from being filled with the Spirit. This is where Paul, Silas, Timothy, any Christian that comes up with with that loving submission to meet those needs, those practical needs we talked about earlier, that's what they're doing. They're, They're seeking submission. Friends, we need... I'm not sure if you should post this on social media or not. Friends, we need to drink a lot. We need to drink a lot. Obviously, I'm not referring to wine. In Paul's days, you would have to drink all day in order to get drunk because the wine uh, had such a little amount of alcohol in it. So when he's referring to this, he's talking about taking it in. I mean, drinking it big time to get drunk but we need to be drunk with the Spirit. We need to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. John chapter 7, verse 37 and on. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is why we read. This is why we study God's word. This is why we pray. We want to get addicted to the spirit. We want to be spirit-dependent um, spirit in our lives. That's what we want to get to be in our lives. It's all about begging God to help us on this mission, that he will show us the path. Allie and I just had that conversation uh, as we talked on the phone a few days ago, as she was like, Dad, I'm not sure what I should be doing, but I've, I've been really seeking uh, guidance from the Holy Spirit. I said, just keep praying. Keep reading God's word. Keep asking uh, mature believers uh, to pray for you and to provide you uh, with their thoughts and, and, and understanding from their experiences. But keep seeking God. The last part of our passage, Acts 16.10b, says, Immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's our last point today. To fulfill our mission in this life, we need to sow the love that Jesus Christ has for each of us. When I was in my early 20s, I was the youth pastor at Helmer Lutheran Church. And and, and occasionally, I'd have the opportunity to come behind the large pulpit they have in the middle uh, of, of their altar area. And it's a huge, large, white pulpit. And on that pulpit, draped over it, is a doily. That's been there for as long as I can remember. And on that doily is stitched a phrase, and it says, preach the word. So when you walk up there and you have your stuff with you, you look down and you see, preach the word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 2 says... All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge in the living of the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Man, I should just preach on that passage. That is powerful. Preach the word. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to keep moving forward. We need to deal with conflict while we're trying to live in harmony with other people. We need to spark some new relationships, new Christian partnerships, so we can, we can forge forward. We could do it as a team. We could do it as individuals amongst that team. We need to shape God-fearing disciples who can in turn shape other God-fearing disciples. And we do this through the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that in the end, we can spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word.